From We First and Goal 17 Media, welcome to Lead with We. I'm Simon Mannering, and each week I talk with purposeful business and thought leaders about the revolutionary mindsets and methods you can use to build your bottom line and a better future for all of us. Today, I'm so excited to speak with Rachel and Andy Berliner, the co-founders of one of the most pioneering and successful natural food brands in the country, Amy's Kitchen. So Rachel and Andy, welcome to Lead with We. Thank you. Thank you. So the two of you started Amy's Kitchen back in 1987, and now you do about half a billion dollars in annual sales. And your success has launched a movement towards organic and plant-based eating that's dominating the food industry today. So tell us, how did that journey start in the, in the first place? It was so ahead of its time. How did it start? You want me to go, Rach, or you? You can start. Okay. Well, it, it started with um, when Rachel was pregnant with Amy. Um, late in her pregnancy, she reached a point where the, uh, she strained a muscle and the doctor said she should mostly stay in bed. So she asked me to cook dinner. And of course, I didn't know how to cook very well. Always a precarious thing with a young husband, yeah. Yeah, so I went to the natural food store and uh, tried to find something organic because we ate all organic foods and there wasn't very much in a prepared meal. But I bought what was there, which was in those days, one door of frozen in a big natural food store. Sure. There was no frozen. And the food was horrible, frankly. And we thought, Gosh, there has to be other people like us who sometimes would want a convenient meal that's made with organic ingredients uh, and they don't have time to cook. So that's where the idea sprung from, really, from uh, our need. And uh, It was just a need, an instinct. Why were you eating organic at that stage? Was it just something that you'd kind of grown up with or came to do? Well, when I was young, my parents uh, had an organic garden in Compton in the 50s. So... My whole life, I lived eating organic, except a brief period where I ate donuts and you know all that kind of fun <laughs> food. But it's the way we lived. We had an organic garden. We just um, believed in not using pesticides and that that was the healthiest thing to do. So it was just natural. And we're vegetarian, so it was natural when we decided to start this company that it would be organic and vegetarian. You know, we were talking before we started the, you know, the podcast about the barn and, you know, you started the business in the barn and it was literally a working barn. Tell us about those early days, because, you know, it must have been a pretty lonely conversation to have with people. We're starting a food company. It's organic. What was the reception like? Well, the reception in the natural food industry was was fantastic. We started with one product, a vegetable pot pie, organic vegetable pot pie. And even though the product wasn't fully developed at our first trade show, and we didn't think it tasted right yet, uh, people loved it and they loved the idea. Uh, and uh, three months later, it was as if we'd been in business for years because it just, it moved into all the natural food stores around the country and people were saying, come out with more products. So our intention was to develop a little business. We had in our mind a couple million dollars in sales just to help with bills and pay for Amy's college someday. When we started, we had no idea that we would be a big company. We really were just, um, or there would be a movement following us. We were just, it came out of, uh, you know, one step at a time every day doing something. I don't think we, we always felt that if we did the right thing, that, that the business would work rather than trying to have a goal of making 
you know, this much money, we thought we had a goal of making this much good food and to make it the best we can in the highest quality. And that's always been our approach. It's not the make the money first. Rachel, how do you stay ahead of tastes and flavors? Because your role is so powerful. Anyone going into the clean beauty, the clean food market has growing competition every day. So how do you go about developing new products, keeping people interested? We do many, many different things. Uh, it's not at all like we have a lab where food is made. We will go into a restaurant. We like a meal that maybe was made there. We work, we talk to the chef, say, hey, could you come to California and work on some meals for us? We found somebody and in, for instance, in uh, Scottsdale, a great restaurant. And she was very excited. She came to California and made these lovely meals. And we happen to have some very talented people. Uh, Fred Scarpula, that he and his father, they know how to take a small recipe and blow it up and still keep the integrity of the food. I travel around the world and I find a recipe I like. We find things in Mexico. It's a very fun, organic process of, of or I have friends that, um, like with our Indian meals, we, we wanted to come out with the Indian meals. So I have a lot of Indian friends and I knew who was the best cook and they came in and they showed us how to make it. So it's very authentic home cooked Indian meals. We roast our own spices. And uh, and that's the kind of, and like right now, I was just looking this morning, I was looking at um, Filipino food. And, you know, I just, I, I just come up with ideas and it's not, we don't sit down and say, okay, we're gonna do this, this and this, but we do, we'll do, right now we're just knowing that international foods have um, delicious, profiles, taste profiles for vegetarian food. Right. So I, there's just so many different angles. Somebody in the plant came up with our Thai food, has happened to have a family that had a Thai restaurant, or it's just fun, different ways it comes in. I don't want to underestimate what you had to overcome to have this success. When you think about, you know, to be this size, half a billion in sales, when you've got an industrial food and farming practices out there, they have in a lot of ways, a lot of control over the real estate in the shopping aisles and in the mind share of people with their superior marketing dollars and so on. How did you compete? You know, how did you frame your messaging and storytelling to kind of keep growing in this way? Well, I think a lot of it has to do with having a unique product offering, something different, being organic, and being great tasting. Um, and, you know, the, the, we, we met many, many years, until recent years, without paying any slotting fees. Uh, we just, uh, you know, if someone said no, we'd build a track record with someone else and come back and say, look at the success. It was just a lot of, a lot of uh, persistent, hard, persistent selling, persistent messaging, you know. And we were never in a hurry. We didn't have the demands of a public company or venture capital saying, you have to grow by this amount this year. And, you know, so we didn't have, if, if we failed, we said, okay, that's cool. We'll get it next time. And, and you, you developed certain interesting things like the drive-through concept with Amy's Kitchen. Tell us about that. For many years, our consumers have been saying from time to time, they write us a letter, why can't you guys open a drive-through? My kids want to go to McDonald's and they want to go to Taco Bell and we don't feel good about taking them there. Right. So, um, Finally, uh, someone joined the company that had a little background in retail. Uh, and so we decided to try it. And we had no idea if it would be successful. We thought maybe it would break even. 
and we opened our first drive-through in Runner Park, a block away from In-N-Out and across the street now from Chick-fil-A. So literally taking on the kind of large industrialized food system. Yes, and uh, we've outperformed all, all, all competitors in that location. And so we decided to, it was a complete shock. I mean, I just couldn't believe the lines of cars that were there the day we opened and the publicity and, and, the, and the amount of business we were doing. We weren't prepared. Uh, we didn't do very well in servicing very quickly. We, we took it a while to figure it all out. But um, and now we opened uh, at the airport, which wasn't the best thing in the world right before COVID hit. And then we, uh, but that's reopened now. And we opened in Corte Madera uh, in, the midst, in the midst of COVID and it's doing very well. We're opening a new one in Roseville in a few months and then a couple in Southern California. So we're very excited about the drive-throughs. What the drive-through offers is food that people are used to, burgers, shakes, fries, fabulous or salads, but everything's organic. And no matter what your dietary need is, whether it's uh, gluten-free or vegan, or just you're just a regular vegetarian, you eat dairy, you can order it, anything on the menu to your needs, which is really unique. And help me understand this. Did you do that intentionally, Rachel? Did you look at it and go, okay, here are two sort of fast food restaurant chains. Let's really throw into relief the contrast between what we're doing and what they're doing. And have you done that in an ongoing basis? Or was it more, listen, here are some good locations. Let's give it a go and see what happens. It was just a, a perfect location that just came up. You know, we didn't, we were worried that we were so close to the other uh, restaurants. It wasn't, we just didn't think, I said, I had no idea that a vegan, I mean, a vegetarian burger place like this would be successful. It was an experiment. And what about expanding, like the infrastructure costs of expanding to bricks and mortar, having a drive-through when you've had all the convenience of retail outlets and so on? Was that a big decision? And did you have to kind of um, reorganize the company to, to service that? Well, we, we created a different organization that, you know, it's separate from the, the, the um, Amy's Kitchen. And it wasn't difficult. I'm, I mean, everything is difficult, but it was... Um, it was just really fun. We had a great designer who designed the inside and made it all sustainable and fun to go in. And we have a green roof on it and lots of beautiful garden and you know, good food. And, and it was difficult, but fun. But now it's, it's not so difficult because we hired someone who knew the, knew the business and, and he, he improved things so much, you know, that made that huge difference is getting the right talent in there. But, Financially, it's a commitment, and uh, we have learned, and he has explained to us, that you can't grow faster than you can develop the personnel to train others. We have 100 employees for each location. So when we have, uh, what would it be, 30 locations, we have as many employees as Amy's does as a whole, which is 30 locations. So that'd be 3,000 employees. So it's very people-intensive and training-intensive. And people have to learn, you know, we have a separate grill for, for gluten-free, everything's got to be separate, dairy-free, the whole kitchen's got to be set up a certain way. We've done beautifully, but it takes a lot of work. It does take a lot of work. And what you just said then is so powerful. I want everyone to hear this. You can only grow as fast as you can sort of bring on board people who can train others. Because otherwise you'll just become a bottleneck at the top of your business. And you're doing all the heavy lifting of building out that infrastructure and the training and the number of people to 
you know, deliver all these different varieties of products at scale, you know, which is much more complicated than perhaps a fast food chain, which doesn't have those standards, shall we say. Um, you know, you keep mentioning fun, both of you. I, I, you know, it's really hard running a business, especially one at this scale with all the moving parts and the quality, you know, expectations you put on yourselves. Tell us a bit about your kind of leadership mindset or what's the attitude you have in mind in building out a purposeful company like this? Because it really does show up. And I don't know whether it's just intuitive to you, you know, that's just who you are in the world or you've gone, you know what, we're going to have fun doing this no matter what. I just think that it has to do with care, the word care and empathy for all our, our employees and our customers and everything we do, there is a sense that we want the employees to be happy for instance, in the drive-through, we really train the people that work there to be kind and cheerful. And, and that's what I hear from all the customers that come through. They say, oh, your people are so wonderful and they really take care of us. And so I think that the idea of, um, and Andy, you've, you basically started that, like, you know, there wasn't, there's like a no anger rule. and No anger rule. Uh, I like that. No anger rule. Well, not no anger, no yelling. There was no yelling allowed. And, and uh, so basically when we started the business, all we thought about was how to make food. We're gonna make this food. We, don't, we didn't know anything about it, but we're gonna make this food. And then suddenly we had a company, we had people making the food, we had you know, HR, we had um, training people, we had all these things. And suddenly we had this wonderful company and we really cared about them and they felt it and they, everyone felt that we cared about them. And, Andy, do you want to add something now? Yeah, Rich, add the part about, you know, the intention behind the food, the, oh, the okay. photographs, the so flowers, all that. I have a very unusual philosophy about the business, which I started right from the beginning. It's kind of a subliminal message is that, so somebody is going to the store and they're buying this box of frozen meal which is really not the most natural way to eat. The natural way to eat is to go to the farmer's market get your fresh vegetables, come home and make salads and soups. Uh, but this time in this world, we're too busy or we don't know how to cook. It's just, and, but what we try to do is give them a connection to their food. And in the way, like in the, from the beginning, the photograph on the package, I always put like a plate from my grandmother and we have veg, uh, flowers in the garden and I put a flower on the, on the package. And and we work, we feel that at every step of the way, who have all the love that people put into the food, the farmers, the processors, the, um, you know, the people working in the office, the people making the food, you know, the shipping, everything, we just try to make it a um, very loving experience and caring experience. And so that when people eat the food, they feel something, they don't know what it is, and what the greatest thing is, is that it, whenever I meet people or the people who work for us meet someone and say they work for Amy's or they say, um, I say, I like to tell people that I'm from Amy's when I meet them because they're so excited and they, they say something and they all say it and they say it in the same tone of voice. It says, oh, you're from Amy's. Oh, I love Amy's. I mean, it's just universal. It's the response that we get. And that's the joy that we get. For me, I, the joy of making people happy and feeding people is what keeps me going in this business and not selling to, you know, make zillions of dollars. Um, you know, you, 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 wanna, you don't want to just sell out. 
if, if you don't have to. For us entrepreneurs that are listening for business leaders running large corporations, you know, when you hear words like love and care and fun, we all get it. We all wish that business was like that. But the reality of entrepreneurship and competition and marketing is not like that. So how do you scale it? Do you actually do it by who you hire and bring on board and you filter those very carefully? Is it through the training that you do where you're not just training them in how to make the food, but how to show up for other people? Is it all of those things? How do you keep that secret sauce alive? I, I think it's all those things. And, uh, and, and we've, we've made mistakes. We've gone off course, but we quickly recognize it and, and, and try to fix it. But, you know, it's, it's been important to me and to Rachel too from the beginning that People are happy at work too, besides the mission and the service, which is a good part of it. You spend most of your life at work. We want people to be happy. We couldn't own a company where people aren't, aren't happy. So that's a big part of our mission. And, and you're a B Corp as well, Rachel. You know, help people understand what that is and why it's important to you both. Andy, why don't you answer that? But one thing I could say about it is that We've always lived this way. You know, we've always done things caring about the earth, caring about with organic and with vegetarian. So it's just a natural outcome of, as far as the making of the food and the growing of the ingredients, but there's so much more. And Andy, could you explain the rest? Sure. You know, I, um, well, one thing I would say that when we started, we didn't realize, and I don't think industry as a whole realized the negative impact that we're, that the, that business and manufacturing was having on the planet. Uh, right. we, knew, we knew we didn't want to put pesticides in the soil, but we didn't understand the grand scale of global warming and all that 33 years ago. But um, as the years went on, uh, we became more aware of it and have tried to do better and better. Uh, when B Corp was first presented to me, I was resistant. I said, we were around 20 years before B Corp doing all the same things. Why am I going to pay someone else to tell me what I already know who we are. And, uh, and it was explained that, well, for one, we are setting an example for other companies by telling people this is what you're doing. And two, there's air, even though we scored 100 and some percent on the first test, which is usually people score around 60 because of the impact of what we've already done, there's a lot more to go. There's a lot more we can improve on. And so um, that we just, we just, that was the motivation to do it. But, and also, you know, when we, oh, one of the things we did, we had uh, medical centers at each plant. So people get their primary care right at work. We take them off the line, we have someone else on the line and they get their physical. So this was, when we did that, Whole Foods followed us, uh, the container store followed us. So when you set an example of something, it helps other people follow. So the B Corp, gives us an opportunity to be a better example, to help other people follow and make a bigger impact. Many years ago, you know, 2009, Sundance Channel did a program called Big Ideas for a Small Planet. It was kind of ahead of their time. Uh, and Amy was being interviewed and she talked about how, and this part never got on TV, but how she, she dreamed that Amy's would become a big, a big enough company to have be a force towards healing the planet, not just doing, not doing damage, but actually healing the planet. That we, we would be, have scale and influence to really help change things. And when I heard that, that was very inspiring and motivational to me. 
and the company has, she's, Amy is really the guide on sustainability and uh, just, justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion. And uh, she's taking the company much further in that direction than we ever could have or would have. It's so powerful what you're saying. That ambition, when articulated that you want to become a force big enough to heal the planet, can really motivate the company, inform all its decision-making, help you kind of stay true to your priorities in the first place. And I think, you know, it's a really, really powerful lesson for all of us. So thank you for sharing that. And, and you know, I'd love you to, both of you to speak to, you know, as you look back over three and a half decades of leadership in a high integrity, but also highly competitive category, what is one piece of advice you give the next generation of leaders, whether they're leading a corporation or enterprise or whether they're starting their own social enterprise or purposeful company? As you reflect back, what is one piece of advice you might give the leaders of tomorrow who want better for you, better for planet products out there? One thing would be stay private. I know pe so, so many people are motivated uh, to start their businesses you know, get it big and sell, you know, that's such a big motivation. And we've always, you know, tried to say private, we've done, we've worked through banks, you know, so we get a line of credit and, uh, you know, it's a very uh, clean, there's no pressure. I mean, there is pressure. If we start making mistakes, the bank says, hey, you know, you gotta, <laughs> you gotta do better now, but it isn't like we're gonna sell or anything like that. So. Uh, and I also think that if you do something that you love and you really believe in and you look out there and you see that it, it doesn't exist, that, that what's, if you can find a niche, like every time we came out with a new product line, we did it because there wasn't anything else out there. You know, if there was something good, we didn't go try to do it. This is just for us within the food business. So those are the two things is find something you love, you're passionate about and, and stay with it. Don't give up. Yeah, I would say that's that's I've those would be the main things I would talk about too. But I mean, not necessarily that you have to stay private. In our case, we have to because of the complexity of our business. I mean, you can't imagine how complex our business is with thousands of organic ingredients all coming to a place at the right time and being prepared. It's 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 a mind-boggling exercise. But if someone has a product that's um, well, like an impossible or something that you can kind of just, you know, uh, make in a simple way. And it, it, then, then maybe it's it, being public or taking venture capital doesn't hurt the enterprise. So I think it depends on, on the case. In our case, it definitely would have hurt, hurt what we were doing. But I think that word persistence is the big thing. Do what you love and be persistent. Don't quit. Just stick with it. And it looks really dark sometimes. Uh, but uh, but stick with it and uh, wait for that door to open. I have one other thought about that with the persistence. Is there so many wonderful people in the industry that you're working in and they're all willing to help? It's just reach out. Andy was always reaching out to people when he didn't know how to make something or do something. It was, and people were always very helpful, so. Really, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of surprised. It's kind of like, it's not something, uh, I think it was on the Oscars last night, something about how kind people can be, the good side of people. Uh, when, the, when the lady won the award for uh, uh, Nomadland, she was talking about that everybody has good in them. And, uh, and I was thinking about that, that was really what brought our success was that 
when, uh, when I'd ask for help, people would give it, whether it was in equipment, finance, whatever it was. Um, you know, don't be hesitant to ask for help. And, uh, and uh, that's all. That's a really important piece of advice for everyone because when you come from as a business is to serve everyone's interest genuinely, authentically, then the flip side of that is they will come to your help, to your aid and support you when you need it, whatever that looks like. And people don't realize that that's the power of your intention in the first place. If you really want to look after them, they'll look after you as well. So I so appreciate you bringing that up. And, and Rachel and Andy, thank you for your time today and congratulations on your continued success. And thank you for being such a powerful example of leading with we. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Lead with We. Our show is produced by Goal 17 Media, and you can always find out more information about our guests in the show notes of each episode. Make sure you subscribe to Lead with We on Apple, Google, or Spotify, and do share it with your friends and colleagues. You can also watch our episodes on YouTube at We First TV. And I'm excited to share that my new book, Lead with We, is now available for pre-order on Amazon. So check it out. I'll see you on the next episode, and until then, let's all lead with we.